Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. show feed i guess until yeah. we find our own feed if we ever want to do that but first guest uh we've had since doing this whole thing which is cool we've got mark sasser joining us who made uh your bow brandon that you just yeah, got a week or so yeah. ago yeah so welcome mark i'm pumped to talk to you today man uh thanks for having me guys appreciate it yeah this, i never thought my first three way would be with two dudes but you know it's 20 <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know the rule. Wait two seconds before you take your turn. I, I need, I need to read the rule book. I don't, I don't know the game. But uh, no, man, it's. Uh, I wanted to have you on one to highlight, highlight who you are as a hunter and as a man, but also we connected over traditional archery, and um, I found you through Drew at Selway. And then we got to talking a little bit and lo and behold, I think our arrows are within, you know, a couple grains of each other. Our draw links more or less the same and started paying attention to those Buana bows and then got to talking to you a little more and learning the story and just got the, the Hunter, uh, the 2023 version of the Hunter uh, a couple of weeks ago or early last week. And uh, dude, that thing is first and foremost, Thank you. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to shoot that thing. It's uh, I was definitely had a timeline in mind for my progression into the recurve and traditional archery. Um, the first bow I got was a Hoyt Satori and had fiberglass limbs and stuff. I wanted to go to a wooden bow for a season, and then eventually my friend Corey Hawk he builds uh, you know self-made bows, self bows, and that was kind of going to be the map that I laid out and really had nowhere no idea where to go um i'd shot a black widow that i liked um but really wasn't committed to it 
shot a stalker that I liked. Wasn't really as fast as I hoped it would be. So then I got to talking to you and you're like, man, this bow is really something. It's kind of the best of all the things that we love about recurves kind of pressed into one. And the, the price point was what was so enticing, I think, is that this is a bow that maybe with a, you know, most people can maybe go out and buy it right now. And then the other hand, there might be something that somebody has to put a little money back for a month or two, but it's not out of reach for anyone. Uh, you want to talk about the hunter model especially, and then we can get into more of that, or you want to start with Buana as a whole? You know, you guys ask the questions. I'll, I'll roll with what we got. Um, I got started and then we can work on the hunter. That way we get an introduction. So, okay. So, uh, Buana bows is, uh, my best friend and I, right? So Jerome is the owner and he's the boyer. So Jerome's building the bows. Um, and I got started in it um, in 2020. Um, Jerome renamed, or actually in 2019, Jerome renamed the company Buana Bows. It was Ethics Custom Recurves before um, because he is in business with his brother over at Ethics Archery. Um, some things happened. He wanted to rebrand it and relaunch it as Buana Bows. If you go back, so Jerome and I, have been friends since the early nineties. Right. So we were, you know, I was 21, 22 years old and he was, you know, 20 years old or whatnot. And a couple knucklehead kids at the archery shop got to be friends and started pig hunting together. So all these years later, he's got this bow company. He wants to relaunch it and kind of make it something bigger than it was. Right. And, um, we're friends and so I came in and at first it was kind of like just bouncing ideas off of each other with design and um, Jerome will laugh. You know, he, he this would this would kill him to sit on on camera and speak, you know, and he's like, it's uh, he said it'd be like like uh, filming a retarded porcupine, you know, <laughs> so he's, he just he doesn't, you know, he he is just not his thing. He's, he's really introverted, but he's he's brilliant, you know. And so um, I piped up. I was like, well, you know, I do have a, you know, I'm a sales professional, right? That's what I do. And um, so we started talking about helping him out and building the company a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years later now, like your string, I built your string. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's teaching me to build bows. And, um, you know, it's something that we want to, we want to exit the corporate world and, and focus on in the future. So, that's how I came into the company. Um, Jerome started doing it. Jerome was a compound guy. So when we met, um, you know, I've told this story before. So if guys have heard it, you know, sorry, but uh, we met, you know, early nineties and Jerome shot a, an Oneida and he shot it instinctively. You know, he, shot, he used a release, no sights, but it was kind of the, the recurvious compound you could get. Yeah. And um, uh, after in case somebody, no, it's yeah. a lever action recurve. It's, it screams at about the same speed of a compound, but has the, the draw cycle of like a recurve, more or less, right? Yeah, 100%, right? And um, so after a few trips to Africa, he decided he was going to actually, you know, he had been really successful going on these African safaris with that bow. He decided he was going to up his game and build himself a, uh, a trad bow, right? So that's how he got into it. Um, I started with the trad bow back in the day. And so we always teased each other. And 
you know, as men, I mean, I think we're all pretty similar. As men, you typically, the maturity le- level of the relationship is typically uh, the same age as where you meet. So we met when we were knucklehead <laughs> 22, you know, we met when we were knuckleheads. Yeah, so I'm 53 now and, you know, he's 51 or whatnot or 50 and we're still knuckleheads, yeah. you know. Um but that's the maturity level of our relationship, right? But we just happen to be in business together. Um, so, you know, that's kind of our background as guys. You know, we started hunting together 30 years ago. He's done a bunch of African stuff. I think he's been 12 or 13 times. Um, I've hunted all over the West. And we never really saw eye to eye on hunting except for wild pigs. We like to do that together. Um you know, so when it comes to building bows, he wants to build the most beautiful, the most exotic um, heritage level bow possible, right? Like uh, if you look at the high end blacktail bows, you know, he, he wants to build a bow like that. I want to build a bow that I can take to Kodiak Island and throw across, across the river and beat the shit out of and still be able to hunt with it. And be like, man, this thing's this thing's badass, you know, and it just kills him, you know. So um, it kills him that I treat my bows that way. But our hunting styles are different. He's hunting out of a blind, you know. I'm hunting in the wilderness. So when we started designing bows together, it was really kind of funny because it was this grind between the two of us. I would throw an idea out, and he'd be like, Oh no, no, that that that'd be ugly. I can't I can't build that. And I'm like, Yeah, but it'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, the carbon limbs, the carbon limbs were a prime example of that when, when, uh, I think Black Widow built the first one for Randy Cooling and for, for Schneider, they, he built these G10 risers with carbon limbs. Then I shot a Black Widow for 15 years, you know? And, uh, so I went to him and I was like, we need to build a G10 carbon, carbon limb bow. And he's like, no, nah, not going to do it. Well, after about a month, I talked him into doing carbon limbs and it's been, probably our, our most, um, popular hunting model, right? Uh, we still get a lot of guys that are buying the high end heritage class bows, but the carbon, the carbon limb thing really took off. We've sold a, a bunch of so them. So what is the argument there? Just in case somebody's listening so, to this and doesn't know, like what is the benefit of carbon over just a straight wood? So the benefits are, a, a couple things in a recurve, there's more benefits to it than with a long bow. Uh, you have a base level of speed. That's going to be three to five feet per second faster over a woodland. So wherever, wherever your standard is, right. So say you're a 170 foot per second with a wood, with a woodland recurve, you're going to be 173, 175 with carbon, right. That should, that's speed. And anytime somebody just wants to talk about speed, that's not my customer. Right. What what it does in a recurve is it stabilizes the limbs quicker so they recover faster. So you get better shots, you get more consistent shots, you get less hand shock, yeah. right? You get more speed. So there's a lot of a lot of underlying things that you get. And then for us, you know, uh, a wood limb, it's still it's a natural material. It can twist over time. It can it can have it's more uh, sensitive to temperature and moisture, you know, because it's a natural piece. Carbon is manufactured. Yeah. Right. So it's it's more balanced. It's easier for us to work with. Right. So all of that said, 
we came in last year, we came in, you know, because this bow right here, the one right there I'm pointing at, you know, that, that bow is probably $2,000 sitting on the wall as we speak, yep. right? That, that bow is kind of out of the reach of many people, right? Or, you know, it might be out of reach for somebody that wants to take it and throw it around or throw it in the back of a, a side-by-side or whatever. And um, so we started talking about having a um, an entry level, we'll say, you know, I don't want to say a low end because it's not low end, right? If you look at your bow, that's not no, low end. Fine. But for us, it's the... Yeah, but the price point for us, that's our, our entry level to get into our bows. And so we did one last year and um, it didn't really take off, right? So in 2021, we did one, uh, we called it the Hunter. Um, it didn't really take off. And so we looked at why, right? Why, why didn't this thing take off? And there was a number of factors, right? And um, so we did a full redesign this year we sat down with a couple of beers in front of us and really broke it down. And, you know, as a business broke it down, not just as a bow, we broke it down as a business. Where do, where do we profit here? How do we return that to the customer? And so we came up with the, the one piece wood handle instead of a multi, you know, a multi-piece usually three pieces. Um, we reduced the number of options that were in it, uh, which streamlined our production which helps us turn that over to the customer. We still make the money we need to, but the customer gets a lower entry price. Um, and so we redesigned it, um, kind of relaunched it. We started with you. Yours was the first one. And, um, you know, we kind of went from there and it's been a hit, you know, it really has. We we did not have any traction with the Hunter in 2021 with, with that design, this design um, since your bow landed. You know, I think we're done. We've done seven or eight in the last couple of weeks, That's right? So, yeah, right? So that's rad. Yeah. And what that does, what that does, you know, that that hunter line bow, we streamlined it, right? So one of the ways that we lowered the cost is we just don't offer as many options as with the other ones. Um, the woods aren't exotic woods, so that lowers our cost into the game where we can purchase, and so instead of just making more profit, we turned it around, we lowered the price yeah. point, right? So the price point on that on that bow is 900 bucks, right? And, um, you know, it takes a 50% deposit to get on the books and start your build. And so for 450 bucks, which is not crazy bad, a guy can put his, put his deposit in and with a month or so, he's going to have to, you know, balance that out and he gets his bow. Um we, we think that's a pretty attractive deal. When uh, when I started, my first custom bow, and this is kind of where we went with the Hunter. My first custom bow was in 1995, um, one of the original Stalker recurves. And that bow, if if I still had it, I wish I did. If anybody's got a Stalker recurve that says Mark Sasser on it out there, hit me up. I'll buy it back from you. <laughs> um, but that bow looks almost exactly like the hunter model I have behind yep. me, uh, minus you know the the modern technology. So it's kind of got that throwback look to it, but with all the performance we put into the high end bows. Um, so that's so what, what we did with the, the hunter. It's been working out. 
What is the wood that you're using? You said you're not using like the exotics or anything like that. What are the ones that are your primary woods that you guys use? So, well, on the upper end bows, any wood, any wood that's available, you name yeah. it, we'll get it for you. We'll do it. These bows, we're using what's called diamond wood, and it's a manufactured piece, right? So the vendor that we use, they're actually cutting the laminations and they're epoxying it together. So it's super strong. It adds some weight, which a lot of guys with G10, they want more weight. So like on Brandon's uh, riser, I weighed it. And compared to one of my personal bows to his bow, it's, I think it's uh, seven ounces heavier, right? So almost a half a pound, right? But we didn't, are, are not wanting to go to G10. With G10 is just a 100% manufactured piece. There's no natural materials in it. Um, you know, it's got a plastic look. It's just, it's not what we wanted to do. This diamond wood gets us kind of halfway there, right? So it's still, it's still wood, but it's stronger than wood. It's heavier than wood. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was kind of a half step that I got Jerome to take. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, so it's a diamond wood, um, compared to like a walnut or a black and white ebony or some of the things we use in the other bows. You mentioned that you've, from the beginning, have have shot recurves and, and traditional style, essentially. So I was curious what it was about those that, like, spoke to you and pulled you that direction rather than the compound route. Like, I'm always interested in where those those distinctions lie for people. So for me, it was just, you know, uh, a function of how I could shoot. Um, the first bow I got, I, I worked at a car dealership and a, a guy that hunted got me interested in it there. And so he sold me a, a little uh, bear compound. And, um, you know, I've got astigmatism. So back then I was wearing glasses and I, I just couldn't shoot it. You know, I tell people all the time, I, I could, I, I sucked, you know, and it was trying to look through a peep and a sight and a target all lined up. I, I just couldn't do it. And so there was another guy there that shot a recurve. And he's like, man, you got to try it, try shooting like this, shoot instinctive. And um, so I tried it and I could do that better than the compound, which, which wasn't great at that point. Right. Um, so I just got started that way. And, um, you know, it's a pretty tough road, especially back then there was, n- there was no help. Right. There, there was no Tom Clum. There was no Aaron Schneider. You know, you couldn't reach out to Schneider and ask a question, you know, um, you didn't have a lot of buddies around because, you know, there's no social media. You didn't know what was going on. So it was a pretty lonely road, but, um, you know, it took me a few years to really get up and going, but, but now all these years later, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's natural. Do you think, uh, do you think most people that would give it a try? I mean, I think it takes a certain type of person to want to go down that path. Like you, you have to be willing to face down, uh, I don't want to say failure, but you have to almost embrace a certain sense of, of difficulty when you go to a recurve over a compound. I mean, the compounds are designed to be a hyper-precision weapon, whereas the recurve is more of a an opportunity for you to refine yourself in a relationship with that bow. So do you think that most people that shy away from the recurve are either, one, just even unwilling to try, or they've, they've got stories of other people that struggled with it, or what do you think it is that is kind of like the barrier point of entry versus the compound for people? Well, you know, it, it starts with the industry as, as a whole. Yeah. Guys, you know, from my, from my vantage point, 
a lot of guys start wanting to do archery to add on to their rifle season. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, they're a rifle guy. They, they want to add archery into the mix. They go to their local shop. And what do you see in your local shop? You're going to be lucky if you see anything trad. Right. And the, the shops are going to sell them what's easy for them and what they know. So they go down that road. Right. That's typically what happens. You don't see too often a guy goes from a rifle to a trad right. Right. Um, now, what we do see is guys that have shot compound for a while, have got good with it, want to up that game a little bit. And then they, you know, they've got a little experience and they start seeing that these, these tribe bows are out there. And they're like, yeah, maybe I, maybe I want to take that next step. You know, um, we see that a lot. And, you know, I've said this on other podcasts before, like the, the, the easiest guy to convert to a trad bow hunter is somebody who's done well with the compound, right? It's much easier to coach that person into becoming a proficient trad bow shooter than it is to take somebody off the shelf like I did. Um, with no experience um, and teach them. So, you know, compound guys are great crossovers for us. That's, you know, Jerome was a compound guy. He crossed over. Um, My buddy I went to Kodiak with, he was a compound guy, crossed over. So a lot of guys do that. Um, You know, the the barriers to it, it's like, um, so we'll talk about jujitsu for a second, right? And you're big into it as well. Yeah, a little bit. Um, a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you look at, I know a lot of people that, that know I, you know, that I coach jujitsu and that, you know, that I teach and they're always like, yeah, I want to try it someday. Right. They're like, well, I got to get in shape to try it. And I'm like, well, I, I hate to tell you this. It doesn't matter how good a shape you're in. You're not in shape for jujitsu. Right. right. You're just not. No. Uh, is just different. You can be in really good shape for one thing, but not that. Um, and so trad's the same thing. I hear guys all the time. Yeah. You know, maybe next year I'm going to try trad. Well, you know, just if you want to do it and you're interested in it, give it a shot. Right. And I tell guys all the time, I said, go on Amazon and buy like a black hunter recurve for like 300 bucks or whatever, you know, or Samic Sage, you know, that's the, I tell guys all the time, buy a Samic Sage, get some, some hundred dollar dozen arrows and go shoot the thing. And after doing that for a few months, if it's, if it's bitten you, then go for it. Yeah. You know, same thing. I'm not going to tell a white belt to go out and buy a show your roll gi. Mm, pro- probably going to end up on eBay somewhere. Right? right. But, you know, so it's the same thing. Don't, you're not going to tell a white belt to come in and buy all his fancy gear because, you know, chances are he's going to last six months and he's out. Yeah. Um, now a guy that's a guy that's been in for, to it for a few years. Yeah. You're going to tell him to go out and buy himself some nice stuff, you know, because it doesn't help you for same with the recurve. It doesn't help you perform any better, but it makes you feel better while you're doing right. it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think for me, one of the things that we talked about and all, and you brought up Tom Clum and for people that don't know, if you, for some reason, do end up getting a recurve, whether it's a Buona or any kind of recurve, he is a, such a valuable resource for information and coaching. I mean, Tom is as good as it gets. But I got to spend some time with him at ETAR. I was actually up there with uh, Drew and some of the guys from the push. And um, that was an awesome event all the way around. But he said something that really struck a chord with me when I was communicating to him why I picked up the recurve. I, I am not a Levi Morgan. I'm not a guy that is like, hyper hyper accurate to the to the point of being able to shoot a quarter 
on unknown distance. Like that is not who I am as a compound shooter. What I am as a compound shooter is somebody who could put five of my six arrows in the size of, you know, the, the bottom of a Dixie cup at 20 to 30 yards pretty routinely. And the sixth arrow I would shoot would be an inch outside. And I would ruin a day or a weekend trying to get all six arrows inside of that Dixie cup. And I would just drive myself to the point where I hated it. Like I didn't, I was so driven by perfection that I couldn't, I couldn't put it down until I reached that point. And it just became an obsession to the, to the level that I didn't even want to shoot. Like I didn't enjoy it. Like I could do it, but I didn't enjoy the process of it. And Tom really uh, touched on it in a way. He told me, he goes, you know what happens when guys shoot an X with a, with a compound? They're like, eh, that's what I was supposed to do. And then, you know, they hit they hit an inch outside, and they're like, oh, piece of shit. Like, they want to throw the bow away. They want to go t- retune it, get a new sight, get new arrows, all this stuff. And that's what I, that was the kind of characteristics I was developing. And he said, you know, with a recurve, when you hit an X, you call your buddies and you text your friends and you take a picture for Instagram. And if you hit two or three inches high, you're like, eh, it's a recurve. It's supposed to happen that way. You know what I mean? And, and I don't know what it was about that feeling for me. But I didn't feel that I had to be perfect to be good. And that drove me to a, an enjoyment of shooting because I, I did want to get better and better and better. But I didn't have that overhanging feeling of that little center yellow X. You know, I didn't have to hit that to be good. Um, now, I, I do relish the fact when I shoot really, really well or I hit exactly what I'm aiming at. But there is a sense of freedom that, okay, I just made a, I had a bad release or I was just a little bit off on my gap and, you know, I can fix that. And with the compound, it was more like a rifle. I felt like I had to be perfect or something wasn't dialed in just right. So I got to tinkering. And one of the things that I really loved about um, getting the recurve from you guys is one, you shoot about the same dimensions that I do as far as draw length, draw pounds and uh, arrow weight. So you were really, I think, committed, I don't want to say concerned, but committed to getting me a bow that would overlap with my other bow so that my arrows would be, uh, they would be beneficial to either bow. And the first arrow I shot out, um, I was just a bit weak. It hit exactly where I was going, but the knock was just a touch weak. And we talked about that right after the shot, um, just changing the brace height. And that's one of the beautiful things that I don't know that a lot of people realize how tunable a recurve bow can actually be in that, in that realm. You know, you can, you can adjust the string, you can tighten it, you can loosen the string, you can, you can have a tiller tune where you let the bolts enter out. So the limbs, um, they set different. And I think that a lot of people just think it is a stick and a string and you just get lucky if you hit anything. And I, I really wanted to dispel that rumor that it, it, it is highly accurate, extremely effective, um, and if you're, if you're a guy like me that likes tracking data, likes tinkering around with things, the recurve can be every bit as, uh, as enjoyable on that front. I mean, if you follow my Instagram at all, you see how much I like building arrows and mm-hmm. refletching arrows and stuff. And I may hate it in a year or two, but I'm excited about it. Like it, having that recurve reinvigorated so much excitement for me, um, because it put ownership in my hands. All my compounds were built by my friend, Jamie Drillyard. He put the strings on. He built the arrows for it. I was literally driving to Michigan to have him do that. He, I, he's a guy I hunt with out in Oklahoma. I've got a great group that hunts out there every year. And Jamie is a target archer. He's a, he's a master shooter for Matthews. And, um, you know, we had the same, similar to you and I, he had the same draw length, same 
kind of arrow weight as a goal. He could build my bow, shoot it, and if it was off for me and it was on for him, I knew the problem was me, not the bow. And much like when you shot the bow uh, before you sent it to me, you had two dead, like left and right were perfect. You had one that was dead center and one just a touch higher. So I knew that I was getting something that was ready to go. And if, if something was off, I could I could fix it either through maybe just a form adjustment because my old my, my original recurve has the springy rest. This is shooting off the shelf. So it's a little bit different. But man, the that feeling, and I was going to be honest about it. Like if I shot, you know, five inches left or five inches right or just missed the deer, I was, uh, I was going to be honest about it. And then I was going to show the process of tuning it out. But dude, that thing came, I put the string on and it just shot so well. And it felt, it didn't feel the same, but it felt familiar in a way, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, it was off to the races after that. And one of the things I do want to say about when I got the bow, I used to, I used to be a woodworker after college. That's what I did. Um, I, I built some furniture. I built a lot of odds and ends like uh, lazy Susans and we did cooling racks and we did wooden tongs. So I had a pretty wide understanding of what quality is. And maybe I didn't communicate that well enough in that, that unboxing video, but moving forward, I do want to talk about that because I know what it takes to make wood beautiful. I know what it takes to make wood functional and Every single thing that I looked at on this bow met those criteria. You know, it, it was beautifully finished. Uh, there was no detail overlooked. And that's what I was really talking about to a couple of guys. I was like, man, I, I really don't know what I would be seeking more than this in one of the high-end bows, unless it was something like that custom wood or, or a piece of wood that was very particular to my want. Like, I love bird's eye maple. That's my favorite wood to look at. Yeah. So it was for me... Um, and, and not having any familiarity with diamond wood other than just the in name and what it was, um, it was, it was very, very cool to feel that weight. It was very, very cool to feel the performance of it. And I think, I think you guys knocked it out of the park and I just want to say all of that so that if somebody is listening to this and they're maybe used to a black widow or a stalker, you know, in that 15, 16, $1,800 price range or like a Bob Lee in the $2,000 price range they will not look at this bow any differently than their own other than the fact that it is a diamond wood versus like a precious wood, you know, and there's no cut corners on quality. So what, from your guys standpoint as a business, what was, what was that? The goal was to make sure that this thing was every bit as time investment from a build, or did you guys want to cut, you know, not, I don't say cut corners, but did you guys want to cut the time that it took to build it or, what was the motivation there for this bow as far as was it just the price point and volume of trying to get get more bows in people's hands? Because that was that was kind of what I was thinking it might be. So no, it wasn't. You know, and it's it's funny because um Jerome and I, you know, having a long relationship, we we are pretty similar in this. Like again, I said this is our, our passion thing that our passion project, right? Our motivation wasn't to make money. Um, now, did we did we refine the build product process so that we could, you know, streamline that? Yes. So a one-piece riser on the hunter takes about four hours less to build than an Ascari, right? And so you start figuring in labor time and shop time and everything. That reduces it by a couple hundred yeah. bucks, right? Um 
So, you know, just, just the riser is about four, four hours difference just in the riser. That's the biggest difference. Um, you know, we wanted to produce something that had a high level of performance at a, at a price that guys could afford. And that comes back to where I was because when I was starting out, when I was a young guy, um, I had more, you know, back in the day, I had more time than money. Right. And that's where I could go do these big backcountry hunts and everything because I had the time, you know, uh, especially when I was a contractor, um, you know, I could take off for 10, 15 days, no big deal um, or more. You know, now I'm you know, a little bit older. I have more time than money. Right. And so I still think back to when I had that more time aspect and what could I afford? What's going to give me the best thing for what I can afford? And we wanted to provide that, right? We wanted to provide something that's that's really awesome, high performance, but caters to that guy that might be in a situation where he's got not as much money as he has time, right? And give him something really good. You know, um, my first bow, again, was a, a stalker recurve, which was a, a one-piece action wood handle with brown glass limbs, you know, and um, that was my entry into that. And my second one was a Black Widow, a custom Black Widow. So we wanted to provide something that gave guys performance at uh, at a good price. But what we wanted to do different is to still offer the customer service to the customer that we would give somebody ordering that $1,800 to $2,000 bow, right? And the customer service thing is, is huge because when I was ordering my first custom bows, they wrote down all of my specs and I waited six, eight months and then it showed up. You know, we want to, we want to involve the customer in the process. We want them to see what's happening. We want them to, to be excited, right? Because even today, you know, that price point, that's, that's still, it's a chunk of money. We want guys to be excited about it. And so where, where that whole spy video thing, kicked off was basically, you know, a thing between Jerome and I is he'd be building me a bow and he'd shoot, send me a spy photo. I'd get all jacked up about yeah. it. You know, I'd send it to my buddies. And so we do that for customers now when we're building a customer, something we, we, sh we send them a picture of it, you know, and, and I always kind of refer to it of, you know, um, I like cars. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, if you're a car guy and you wanted to order, you you decided you, you know, you won the lotto and you were going to buy a Mustang. You could go down to Ford and you could buy a Roush, yeah. right? It's a badass Mustang. It's it's a Mustang like the rest of them, but it's badass, you know. If you wanted to make, take the next step, you could, you know, get a Shelby, right? That's the next step up. But if you really wanted to get the best, right, you can go to Chip Foose. Yeah. Right. And so we want to do that with bows. Right. So when somebody wants that bow for a specific adventure, and that's what I always say, you know, we're building bows for your adventure. Um, that center bow there is for the Africa trip we have coming up. Right. So it's got lion tracks on it. It's got a lion on it. Um, it's the best of everything. You know, the, the top bow was a bow I took to Kodiak Island. You know, it's got a Kodiak bear on it with bear tracks. And so if a guy has a, an adventure he wants to go on, and if you're spending 10 grand to go to Africa, you can buy a bow, right. right? If you're, if you're in that market, you're in that market, you know? And so why not buy something that's special to that trip? That's where we're going with the high end bows. 
there's no reason you can't do that with the hunter. Right. Right. We, we still offer those options. If you want tracks and animal heads, if you can pick your wood, you can pick your limb materials, you can, you can pick a lot. Right. And so we wanted to offer something that still got guys to be able to build that adventure bow or to whatever they're into. I've got a guy, um, down in Texas who likes to hunt hogs or putting hog tracks on it and a hog head on. So when he picks that up, he's like, yeah, this is what it's built for. Um, we wanted to offer that and, um, you know, people eat it up, you know, and, and it can turn into a 30 minute conversation with the customer where now all of a sudden they're, they're engaged, right? They are part of the process and it's just something we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to have a bigger effect on, traditional archery guys than just selling them a piece and, you know, send them a bow and a t-shirt and, you know, thanks going your way. You know, we, we wanted to have an impact on the community. And so we started local, right? We, the trad shoot this weekend, there's 26, 26 suitors. There was five of them shooting bonus, right? So we started with our local community. Then we've got a bunch of guys in California. Now we've got, you know, people outside of California, East coast. I think we've got one in Argentina, you know, so, we wanted to start local and and really affect our local market and then, you know, expand out from there for what we could do. Do you feel like it's ever limited you as far as a hunter? You know, that's one of the things that I hear guys say is like, and, and here's something else. That, and this is something that I personally felt with my compound. And I told Ross this before. I really became a far better archer than I was a hunter. And at, at a certain tipping point, my archery skill started to diminish my desire to even become a better hunter. You know, it's a, it's a different world when you're within a hundred yards of an animal to 60. And then I can remember clearly, clearly going to, to Big Chino. And I'm like, if I get 60 yards from a, from a mule deer, it's dead. Like I had that, that swagger about myself and I found myself at 44 yards, at 45 yards, at 52 yards, at 38 yards and one time at 17 yards and was still not able to get a shot with a compound. So, um, the 17 yards was a complete accident. The others were about my hunting capability range because at 45 yards, I'm still kicking rocks and like making too much noise and all this other stuff. Uh, maybe misjudging the wind or, or just being a little too aggressive. One thing I can tell you when I went to, uh, when I went to Oklahoma, the ability to get close to the pigs, uh, which I love hunting pigs. It's probably my favorite animal to hunt because it's an active hunt. You can you can really you yeah. can really get some reps because there are a ton of them. There's a shit ton of pigs. They're a problem. Um, you can kind of shoot without that hyper hyper focus of you get one buck a year. You know, if every pig you kill out there, you're doing a service to the farmers and the land. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a good place to practice. But for me having that thought process change to, I have to get to about 25 or 30. I have to get there. So it started changing the way that I thought about the approach. It changed the way that I thought about my setup and my kit. I, I even made a video the other day. That's that's why my whole kit changed because my I changed from a compound to a recurve. So I had to make changes to everything that I did. I had to make sure that my boots didn't squeak. I had to make sure that I had something that I could go uh, soft sole on, like for a stalk. And all of this stuff, really kind of um, timed up with me. Uh, I went back and watched the Jeremiah Johnson uh, just right about the time that I got my first bow. And then I started reading about Benjamin Lilly, long lost ancestor, the apex predator of the West, 
uh, guy killed everything as far as big game and uh, predator animals back in the 1800s. And I really started to class myself against what the, the imagination in my head of who those men were. Like, if you had to, and if this wasn't a privilege or an option, like you had to go out there to get your food, that compound, bro, if it's all, if all you got in front of you is a mule deer, you ain't getting it done. So, because I've hunted five times at Chino with zero success, and that is not on them. They put me in front of the deer. I just yeah. suck. So, uh, I, I hope that when I go out this year, I'm I'm really I'm going to take both bows just because of the difficulty and the reality of that hunt. But I do commit myself to the recurve because when I pick that up, it's a different mindset for me. It's like there's no there's no fluffing around at 60 yards anymore. You you just can't sit there and wait one out. You got to keep moving and get closer. So I am I am equally as engaged and enticed by that feeling as much as I am as the feeling of hitting that spot when I shoot it with my recurve. Did you have any feeling of that? And do you think that guys even understand that that might be happening to them too? You know, they might be falling into this category of they've got the they got the range to shoot 100 yards with a compound. They're, they're doing it on foam. They're shooting the tacks, but they're still not getting it done in the field. Do you think that that somewhere falls on the responsibility of the hunter to say, I am a hunter, not just an archer? Um, I think it does. You know, I, I really think it does. And, um, you know, that's where that's where guys have to make that commitment. Do I want to be, you know, a shooter? Right. And that's where I classify it. Right. Are you a shooter? Or are you a hunter? Yeah. Right. Because with a recurve, you know, I have really well documented. I, I can bang some long shots. Mm -hmm. I practice a lot and I know my equipment really well. I can bang some really long shots with the recurve. But when I'm out in the hunting woods, like I'm not hunting specifically always for a class of animal. I'm hunting for a shot. Right. Right. I'm hunting for. Right? I'm working for that shot. I'm working for that opportunity. Just like, you know, if we're, uh, if we're rolling in the gym, I'm going to, I'm going to grind you. I'm going to grind you till you're tired. And then my favorite thing is, is I will tell you, like, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a toehold on your left foot, yeah. you know? And so I'm looking for a shot, yeah. you know, I'm looking for, I want to, I want to pick it apart and I'm looking for, that shot and that opportunity, you know, and, and out here, uh, you know, I, I've told this before out here in California, I've got seven, uh, seven blacktail that I've taken under 15 yards, yeah. you know, off the ground, not out of a ground blind. Right. And so, um, you know, it's at 60 yards, I'm still using my binoculars, you know, I mean, I'm not even, <laughs> you know, I'm like planning it out. I mean, my, my thing is usually if I can get, to 30, right? If I can get to 30 yards and an animal's unaware, I figure I could probably get to 20. Now I'm a good shot at 30, yeah. right? I can make a 30 yard shot. Um, but animal behavior and target behavior, they're completely different, right. right? And so with animals reacting the way that I do, they, they do, um, I want to get as close as possible. Um, you know, and to go from 30 to 20, that might take an hour, yeah. you know, it might take more. But generally, when I get to 20, if that animal's still saving this, acting the same way, I'm like, man, I can get closer, yeah. you know. Uh, my closest one was eight yards uh, behind a bedded blacktail who was asleep, <laughs> you know, and, um, and banged yeah. him. And um, banged him from the back. 
And, uh, you know, that's when you get it all right. That's awesome. Now, I'm super proud of that deer, right? He was a 17-inch wide forked horn blocktail, yeah. right? Not not anything to post or brag about or anything. So, you know, it wasn't the deer that was the hunt that, that did it for me. Um, you know, luckily I'm in California. We don't have a bunch of big deer. So I shoot a, I shoot a lot of those 20 inchers, yeah. you know. And, um, but, um, you know, the opportunities there. So I'm, I'm trying to hunt that way. Um, you asked earlier if I think it's a, I think you said limitation, right? If I think the, the recurves a limitation, do do you think that most people's perception is that is a limitation? Oh, hundred percent. I think the, I think, I think the, uh, the, the perception is that it's a limitation and, um, because let's face it, you go to a trad shoot and you see if there's a hundred trad shooters, 90 of them probably saw, right. you know, and I, I don't say that being mean. I'm just saying that, you know, compared to a compound shooter, you know, you, you have compound shooters, you go look at a hundred trad guys and the top 10% might be able to shoot with the compound yeah. guys. Right. But, you know, it takes a lot of work to get into being a 10%. Right. You know, it takes more work to be a one percenter. Right. And so that's where I've always wanted to live. I've always wanted to get into that top 1%. um, And no matter what I'm doing, right. When I rode Harleys, I wanted to, you know, I rode at the clubs, I wanted to be a 1%. Or when I'm in jujitsu, I want to be a 1%. Um, And in archery, I want to be a 1%. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm not Levi Morgan, right. I'm not Aaron Schneider. I'm not Daniel Collins, right. Those guys are the 1%. Um, do I want to get there? Yeah. You know, um, but do I want to get there on targets or do I want to get there in the field? Right. Mm -hmm. I want to get there in the field. Right. And so when I, when people ask if the recurve is a limitation, I will say, you know, yes and no. Yes. It's a limitation at distance, but when you get in the pocket, if you're under 20 yards, now all of a sudden the recurve is an advantage. Because I can camp my bow at 40, you know, 40 degrees, right? Or 70 degrees, right? I can camp my bow to to get under a limb or something, shoot it off my knees where now my bow is, you know, 18 inches off the ground. And you can't do that with a compound, right? right? So, you know, you, you're, you're limited with the third axis and everything with a compound. You're limited. And when you get in really close, you, you take that limitation away with a recurve. Um, and it's quieter and you don't have to, you know, one of the things of the recurve, you could shoot it at, at 20 inches if that's how much you can draw, right? If you know your equipment and, and still, and still pound it, right? So, you know, it's a limitation in a lot of ways and it's an advantage in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, it just, it just depends which, which side you want to look at it from. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, because you brought up, jujitsu several times now and all three of us are jujitsu guys as well and so the it it wasn't really a a correlation that i had made until i started shooting the recurve that i got a few months ago was my first one and so this was the other thing that was funny like the two examples of the guys that begin shooting recurve like brandon and i are i think are both of those examples or or like each of us are are one of them because like he came and was shooting compounds for a long time was like successful compound shooter i only picked up the compound like less than a year ago 
And okay. so I don't have like, I have like hardly any experience with it, but I see how Brandon through talking to him a lot about the recurve and like the other guys that he's turned me on to. I'm like, that just sounds awesome. Like, I just want to start doing that. So I, I mean, I was not even shooting a compound for a year before I just bought that Samick Sage on Amazon, like two and a half months ago. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I kind of just dove right in without a lot of that, uh, history of, of even shooting in general, a bow. And so it was funny to hear you say like those two different approaches, like we're, we're basically each of them, but the, uh, when I started shooting the recurve, I started noticing the way that I analyze how I'm doing was very similar to how I analyze how I roll in my head. Like yeah. the, the learning process of that is very similar for me anyways. And I've told Brandon this where I would be out, I would be out here shooting and like I'd have three or four good shots in a row and I have no idea why they were good. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm doing something mm -hmm. right, but I don't know what, I don't know how to quantify it. Like, I don't know how to know what I'm doing to replicate it. And the same thing would happen when I would roll, especially like in the, that, that first year or so when you're, when so much new information is coming at you with how you're learning uh, positions and techniques, right? You're like, well, I ended up here and I ended up getting in a good spot to finish this guy. I don't know how I ended up here, but something worked and I'll see if I can do it again. So like there was a lot of that similar uh, analyzing on my part with the recurve to jujitsu, do you notice any of that same stuff too with just how you approach, how you learn, how you practice either of those two things together? Um, yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. I tell guys all the time, it's like white belt jujitsu. So white belt jujitsu, you're going to see a lot of movement and not very much technique. Mm -hmm. Black belt jujitsu, you're going to see very little movement and a lot of technique, yeah. right? And so as guys start in archery, it's the same thing, right? Hold on, I'll let these dogs out. No worries. Yeah. In, arch in archery, you see the same thing, right? Um, with a compound, the, the, the bow is using the technique, right? The archer's got very little technique input into it. A recurve, it's all archer technique, very little technique from the bow. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's funny, you'd be surprised at how many high-level jiu-jitsu guys you see shoot a recurve or a longbow, right? Because they're technique-oriented, they're used to they're used to getting tapped all the time, you know. And you know, so when you when you suck with your bow, it's like you get tapped, right? And it's like, okay, well, if you're on the mat, if I get tapped by a lower belt, I'm like, okay, I'm not I'm not gonna be like usually it's like, what did you do and how do, how do I do it? Right? right. But if I get tapped by a lower belt, it's like, okay, what did I do? Right. Mm -hmm. right? Be because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I did judo for a long time. What did I do? Right. Mm -hmm. And so in archery, it's the same thing. If I'm shooting a recurve bow and I shoot to five inches to the left, it's like, what did I right. do? Not what did the boat, you know, and so Brandon was saying earlier, like, you know, if he misses a shot with the compound, he starts tinkering. Well, I have to tinker with myself, right. right? And so anybody who, you know, I get called an elitist sometimes, right? But the, the group of people that I'm trying to be elite against is myself, right? I look in the mirror, it's like, how do, how do I make myself, how do I get myself to be a 1% me compared to an average me, right? And those guys with that kind of mentality or those gals tend to do really well in traditional archery and jujitsu, you know? Um, 
jujitsu correlates over really well because, you know, it's, it's a really hard sport that anybody could do. And, um, you know, anybody can get on the mat and roll as a white belt. I, I, I teach adult fundamental classes, right? And so I take people that are off the couch up to about purple belt, mm. right? That's, that's my function in the gym. I, I, I manage those guys. Um, and so traditional archery is the same way. I'm taking guys that are brand new and walking them through, um, with, you know, through Bonner bows, I'm, I'm helping them pick their bow. I'm helping them pick their arrows, help them coach them with their technique. And then when it's time, when I've done what I can do, do I'm like, Hey, this is Tom Clum, yeah. Right. And so it's the same thing in jujitsu. When I get guys to a certain area, it's like, okay, now I'm going to have you go to my professor. Right. Right. Um, you know, and he, he was high level when I started, you know, nine years ago, he was already high level. So, um, you know, you, you have to know when to turn people over. Um, but I think they're both awesome. I mean, there's, again, there's a bunch of high level jujitsu guys that shoot trad and they do it yeah. for a reason. Well, right? and that's the thing when I, I, I was, I mean, I, I don't want to say that I made Ross buy a recurve, but I knew kind of, but like <laughs> I knew that it would work because I know the kind of guy that Ross is. I know the kind of like appreciation that he has for some of those tactile things, those tactile skills. And the, you know, for me, there's a marriage to, to the bow, um, in that very much what you said, it's like, it's like an artist with their favorite paintbrush or, you know, a, a musician with their favorite guitar, you know, they learn things about that instrument. They know how to bend those strings on that particular guitar in a way that gives that particular sound. And I think that's what you can get from a recurve. It, it's almost like the comparison of, of a photographer versus an artist. They're both effective and they're both going to give you the image. But one of those has a very different approach to how they give you that thing. And that's what I feel like I'm a killer with a compound. Like I know that and I trust that and I'm effective with that. But it doesn't have the same marriage of feel. Um, you know, I'm able to draw back consistently. You know, I just got back from Texas and I hadn't really shot my re or my compound maybe more than four or five times, you know, 10 or 15 arrows per session this year. And when I got the opportunity to go, it was to uh, Levi's got a new system coming out, the LRP system. It's an arrow uh, vein and, and broadhead system that he's developed for from a, from a target archer's perspective, carried over into the hunting. And I don't know, I'm sure that John Dudley and Cam Haynes and all those guys are as, just as meticulous as Levi. But when it comes to listen to a guy that says, hey, I've done this 13 times world champion archer, 12 times shooter of the year, or 14 times world champion, and I think that we can do better than what we're doing, and I think we can expect more than what we've expected, I'm going to be interested in that system. So when the, the opportunity presented itself to shoot my compound, it was more one out of respect for Levi as a friend and as a man and as a person who's got something that he believes in. And then two, it was also like, all right, big boy, let's see what this feels like after you've learned this other this other type of dance over here. And for me, it was not... Um, it was not the step backwards that I thought it would be mentally. Like it wasn't like, Oh, you know, I've relegated myself to the compound. I love, I love hunting. I love being an archer. I love being capable. And I think for me, I like knowing that I can be a well-rounded complete killer. And a lot of people won't like the, that, the way that I phrase that, 
but I want to know that whatever the parameters of the hunt I'm given, just like when I went to Big Chino last year and shot that elk with a rifle, um, would I have felt as, as good about shooting that elk at 100 yards? Maybe because I got close. But I know that I've shot a lot of long-range stuff. I've shot a lot. I've worked with um, Brian Morgan up at Hat Creek Training up in Idaho, and you know he's a thousand-yard-plus guy. So when I laid down on that elk and it was 856 yards, well, could I have gotten closer? In some scenarios, absolutely. In this scenario, absolutely not. Sun's going down across a little a little bowl, and this bull just presented himself. I was 300 yards from a smaller elk, um, and was getting set up on that. And then this other elk walks out at 856 yards, and it was just, it was a no-brainer. I mean, this elk presented a better position to shoot. It was just further. So I took pride in the distance. I took I took pride in the capability to shoot that distance confidently. But also, with my compound, even down in Texas, um, I can tell you this much. Having hunted that doe on public land with my recurve, that is the most amped up I've ever been after I shot an animal. A hundred percent, no question, hands down, the most excited I've ever been for, for an animal. When I shot the buck in Texas with my compound, there was a pride, but it wasn't that like question, am I going to hit this or not? You know what I mean? So having, having a range for me satisfies me, knowing that I can do it across several demands and within the parameters of whatever the hunt is set up around, I like that feeling. But I also am a person who is driven by challenge. So shooting a compound at, at a whitetail at 20 yards is not a challenge necessarily. The challenge therein lies being in the blind, being quiet, being still, being unnoticed. Whereas with the recurve, it's going to be a little bit different scenario because you're never quite as certain, even as good as you can be, you're never quite as certain uh, of, of the result until that arrow flies. And that is something that is extremely sexy to me, like that. You know, it's kind of like uh, tightrope walking over over a cliff. You know, you 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 mess this up and it's going to go to hell real quick. Same kind of feeling for me with the recurve. It's like you got to keep your shit together in the pocket there, or you're just going to fall apart. And I like the challenge that all of those present. I think a lot of guys need that encouragement because, like I said, Ross was definitely a guy I identified as someone who could do it. I know he's dedicated. I know he's an athlete. He's got good hand eye. Um, and he's a guy that accepts and welcomes a challenge. I would challenge anybody listening to this. If you are that compound guy that maybe has two or three kills, start thinking about a recurve. Maybe go with Sam Sage. If you're a guy that's done it 10 or 15 years and you're out there like you're not feeling that challenge aspect, like, you know, there's a certain type like Cam Haynes or a John Dudley or a Levi. They know when they go out in the field, their success rate is going to be pretty high. You know what I mean? Like they're they're a very accomplished hunter. Mm-hmm. None of those guys are going to change to a recurve for various number of reasons. I mean, they've got like big sponsors and right. they've got responsibilities to those. And like Levi, he's a tournament shooter. But if you are listening to this and you're just a guy that's hunted maybe your whole life, with a, you started with a rifle, moved to a compound, and it's not as exciting as it was, I think a recurve should definitely be in your wheelhouse of thought. Like I think you should start thinking of it that way. Because I can tell you when I went back to the compound and started shooting it, knowing like literally on a day's notice that I was going to Texas, the difference in feel and confidence was astronomical. The best I've ever shot my compound was this week uh, or the last week. Um, And I I highly attribute that to the recurve. Um, You know, having a 17 pound hold versus a 65 pound hold or a 60 pound hold or a 58, whatever people are shooting, 
um, it just made things feel a lot more smooth and a lot more capable. Um, do you have any kind of, of desire to shoot a compound at all? Do you have any desire to go rifle? I mean, for a guy that's pretty much gotten it done time and time again with the recurve, does that work in the opposite? So I'm looking at a <laughs> rifle right now. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to hunt with a rifle, you know. Um, I generally, I don't do it a lot. Um, you know, I've shot some pretty nice pigs with a rifle. I've shot some deer with a rifle. I've shot a bear with a rifle. Um, I've done it in the past. Yeah. I like it. Um, you know, it depends on the tag and where I'm at. Um you know, I shot, I shot a deer in Nevada with a rifle because, you know, it's a, a low opportunity to get the tag. I got the tag. And, um, you know, at that time, for the amount of time that I had to put into it, I wanted to, I, I for myself, wanted to be successful on that hunt. So I, so I went on a rifle hunt. Um, now, I usually use the rifle, like if I'm doing a, a call hunt for somebody or a management hunt, because um, I'm doing them a favor as much as they're doing me a favor. I'll use the rifle, I'll go over yeah. there, we'll bang it out. If I'm hunting for me and for my satisfaction and my sense of adventure, I use the recurve. Um, now, that being said, that the compound doesn't really have a lot mm-hmm. of attraction for me because uh, if I want to shoot something at 100 yards, sure. I'll shoot the rifle, you know. Um, you know, and uh, I had the opportunity, you know, I had the opportunity this year. I was, I was offered, um, I was given the opportunity um, by a very gracious company to shoot a compound. Um, and, um, you know, I thought about for a little bit, but, you know, I've hung my hat on the recurve for this many years. I'm going to, I'm just going to stick with it. Um, and then I, and then I stepped up and started doing more with the company, uh, with Juana. So it's like, well, you know, now, now I really have to, uh, I don't Oh, I didn't care. I didn't care, you know, and, um, but the thing is, you know, it's like, I have friends that shoot all of it. Right. Um, I've got buddies that shoot compounds, rifles, tribos, you know, I don't care. Have fun. You know, it's like Levi Morgan is, let's just, it's not even an argument. He's the best archer mm-hmm. in the world. Right. I'm pretty sure that he financially would would never be able to get the sponsorships out of a trad company that he can from sure. from his current sponsors, right? It would it would be yeah. a foolish move, right? Now would he become probably the best trad shooter in the yeah. world? Yeah, right? Cam Haynes, same thing. Would would if Cam converted would he, would he be the best trad bow hunter in the yeah. world? Mm, probably, right? Does it make sense for them to do that? No. But for the average guy, um, you know, it does make sense. And, um, you know, and, and it's a good time, you know, for, for a guy, for a guy, I can shoot 20 yards in my backyard. If I was shooting a compound, it would be like, yeah. well, this is dumb. You know, you're shooting 20 yards in the backyard. Well, this is dumb, but I, you know, I'm going to shoot a couple arrows a, a week and, yeah. you know, I'm good. Uh, with the trad bow, it's like, oh man, that's still, you know, it's challenging. You move around, change your position you know, do different things. It, so you go in your backyard and shoot and have a good time and, and be challenged. Uh, so there's, there's that too, you know, it just, if guys are wanting to step up their game, challenge themselves, um, try something a little bit harder, right. Something that 
that exposes you more, right? You, you, you become exposed. It's like, so let's say you're a blue belt and you're, you're a pretty good blue belt in jujitsu and you get promoted to purple belt, right? You're still doing the same game, but your mistakes will be exposed quickly, right? And um, same thing, if you're a black belt in jujitsu and you're shooting a trad bow and you want to go, you want to go out and shoot the compound. Okay. Is, is it a big deal to go out and tap purple belts? Yeah. No, not really. Is it fun? Oh yeah. Right. Everybody likes tapping a purple belt. Right. Um, you know, so it's still fun. You're still doing the same thing. You're just doing it a little different and it's not quite as hard to do it, yeah. but you're still doing the same thing. Well, I think right? you know, one of the cool things about Levi and, and not to like just fluff him up, but he, you know, he's, he's a fine example in a, in a really shitty industry. Like every time I've been around Levi, he's been the same way. He's been a great guy. The industry sucks. I think the industry is like really bastardized hunting a lot. Um, I think it's guys in a, in an awkward position a lot of times where they have to kill, you know, once they put that, that sponsorship flag on their back, um, it no longer becomes, Oh, we're just proud of you because you shot 140 deer. It's like if you don't shoot a, a bigger deer every year or bigger than our competition, um, you suck. But I will say to his defense, I shot with him at his house when I went up there. Darren Christenberry was there and uh, Lonnie was there from Elite and Levi was there shooting. They had a tournament the next day and I was shooting my recurve and all three of those guys are like world-class tournament archers compound. And all of them were like, man, that is awesome. This, you should get in some competitions. Not because I was shooting great, but to really, again, expose myself. Are you as good as you think you are under pressure? Are you as yeah. good as you are against a man standing beside you mm-hmm. aiming at the same target? And it's actually interesting me more to do that now than it ever did with a compound because it's like whenever the animal walks out to you, there is nothing that I have found in my life that can replicate that heart in the throat, chest beating just profusely kind of feeling like that. Now, I'm a very, very competitively driven person, so I think – that competitive aspect with a recurve, um, maybe an unknown distance kind of thing where you're just trying to do the best you can, like you might be in the field. Like some of those situations, you're just not going to have time to range it or you're not going to have the capability to range it because the animal's so close. So I think it's a great way to practice in field or, or like field um, without the, the repercussion of hurting an animal or losing an animal or missing an animal. You know, I think it's, it's just a good way to put your feet to the fire and like you said be exposed get in the competition in such a way that you have to perform on demand and i think any hunter should really entertain that and buddy i can tell you shooting with those guys you know and i'm standing inch for inch yard for yard with them and and getting their i don't want to say praise so much but as respect of like hey man if you worked at this little bit you could definitely shoot these competitions pretty well dude that's a that's a great feeling from those guys and I think anybody that um, that just loves archery and loves a challenge, I don't care what you do. I don't care if it's a, if it brings you satisfaction and you're happy shooting a compound, shoot a compound forever. But if you ever lose that edge or you lose that desire to get, like you said, I don't want to shoot 20 yards every day with a compound. Like just like I can shoot three arrows a week and know that I'm dialed in and good to go. You know, I don't need to sit out there for an hour. But the recurve, I want to shoot for an hour. You know, I want to keep shooting that thing as long as I can, yeah. as often as I can. And again, I'm not sitting here saying that everyone should do it, but I think there is a certain type of character and probably some of the guys that listen to this show, because Ross and I are very like, and I think we attract 
like-minded people. Um, there's probably some guys sitting at home that, that are hearing that thinking, yeah, that's me. Well, I think a recurve might be an awesome option. And I definitely, uh, firsthand experience, if, if all you can do is something like, like Ross said, you know, he didn't know how committed he would be. So the Samick Sage was a perfect entry-level bow. I mean, you're talking, what, $160, $200? Yeah, it was like 160 bucks, And yeah. then the the string from America's yeah, Best was like, was like 30 And then... And the air and yeah. the arrows were so like seventy or something bucks. like that for the ones that you know, I got. You're so in the game, was, but I yeah. would say also too that three or four hundred dollar yeah. bu- is a three three or four hundred bucks is now a down payment on a hunter. So it's like it's whatever level of investment, whatever level of commitment you're willing to do. But there's a range for everyone, and that is not necessarily the case on a compound either. I think the financial side of things. I mean. My, my Matthews, I have a VXR. If you broke it down, my site was $470. It's an option six. Uh, my Quiquelizer was $170. Yeah. Shrink, $100, $130. I mean, if you start talking, you're, you're getting into $2,000, $2,500 range, um, which could actually go into the SCAR. You know, if somebody has that kind of money to, to spend on a bow, okay. and if they're having those feelings, like they could go with Legacy Bow, or they could go with Hunter, or they could go. I mean, there's so many options for people. I just want to see people have something that, that is a dangling carrot that they chase to improve. That's the whole premise of this show is, is showing people the yeah. multitude of ways that maybe doesn't look like everything you see shoved down your throat on social media, but two guys, me and Ross, trying to figure this life out in a way that is beneficial to us. It brings health to our bodies. It brings joy to our families and friends. And then also presents challenges, whether it's through training or jujitsu or a recurve or a compound, whatever it may be. I think men need that. And I think to maybe kind of segue towards closing in this episode, I'd like to ask you as a man and capability being somewhat of a, I think it is a necessary find for men to have those things like the challenge, the, the pursuit and the accomplishment, the overcoming obstacles. I think I don't, I don't know that a man can be his fully best self without those. Um, do you feel that sense? And do you think the recurve is the best route in, as far as archery goes for a person to tap into that capability spectrum? So, you know, I think as men, we're, we're, we're tasked with hard things all the time yeah. that we don't want to do. Right. And if you're tasked with something that's hard and you don't really want to do it, you're just doing the task. And, you know, just getting getting it done, right? Getting it out of the way so you can move on to something else. I think when you find men that find joy in hard things, right? And, you know, and I like to talk to veterans, right? And guys that, that did that, right? That's a hard thing that they had just had to get through for a lot of them, right? Especially guys that were, yeah. were in the East, right? Um, they already did the hard thing that they had to get through now but they're used to it. They're conditioned for it. And so to not be soft, right. To not redact yourself, right. Start removing pieces of yourself. You want to stay being that man and you want to be that top percent. You need to find things that are difficult, whether it's, whether it's moving things that are heavy, right. Whether it's jujitsu, whether it's archery, you need to find things that are difficult to test yourself. And that's where you get self-improvement. Right. And so for trad archery, if you've got a guy who who needs that hard thing, right, to test them and challenge him and um, 
you know, to, um, yeah, it's the mirror right now, instead of standing in front of a mirror, it's the hard thing becomes the mirror that you, yeah. that you look in. Right. I, I think as, as guys, you know, we need to, uh, we need to be masculine. We need to be challenged. We need to, you know, alpha, the alpha things kind of out there nowadays, but like, you know, to not necessarily be the alpha male, but to be a male. Right. Um, and to, to do hard things and succeed in them. You know, I, I think it's necessary. Guys need that. And, um, you know, traditional archery is, is definitely it. You know, it's, it, there's, unless you go to a primitive bow, there's no harder way to hunt, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I challenge guys to at least try it. And then, um, when they suck, right. <laughs> I'm going to challenge them to try it. And when they suck, then they need to look at what did I do? Right. What, what have I done? Because it's you. Right. And, um, I tell guys um, on the jujitsu match, I'll, uh, the jujitsu mats all the time. I tell them, I said, you know, life, life in jujitsu have one thing in common. When you turn your back yeah. on your problems, they get worse, right? And so it teaches you to face your problems. Traditional. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. In the middle of how long are we in right now? Uh, like an hour okay, ten cool. or something like that with the gap. Yep. So we'll we'll wrap <laughs> it up here. So anyway, um, I was just saying, you know, a traditional archery challenges to face your issues and what you're doing, and when you've done that and you become excellent at doing that, now you look at those issues in your life the same way, and you create a better life for yourself. It's an awesome well, place, man, to wrap it up. Mark, thank I you just for making. To ask, uh, like, go ahead, Brandon. How long, just so people know, if, if anybody out there is hearing this and they're like, man, I want to get one of those bows, just so they can know what they're getting into. They know the price point. Yeah. They know that the bow is going to shoot. They know the quality is going to be there. What is the turnaround time on these bows? Are you going to have some in stock ahead that they can order and maybe expect in a week? Is it going to be a two, three-month deal? Um, and, and really, what? Uh, and there's one other thing I want to talk to you about after this question, but just give people the idea of what they can expect. And you kind of already did this already, but I guess I should shed light on that. Mark was very, very inquisitive about my setup. Uh, and how would you handle somebody that doesn't know these things? And then, um, the pictures along the way was, I, I felt like I was communicating with you through the process. You know, I wanted a whitetail on there. I love hunting whitetail. I got the deer tracks on there. They're freaking awesome. Um, just the personalization that a person can get just touch on how far they can go with that. Just, just reiterate, they can go as far as they want, but out of your mouth, how long can they wait? How much can they be involved and what kind of transaction can they really expect in the whole process from you? So on the Hunter line, we're, we're trying to have a couple of each color risers built already so that we could just do the finish on those, whether it's the engravings, mm-hmm. um, you know, finish those out. And then limbs, we've got some limbs that we pre-built, but uh, it's a pretty personal thing. So if we have somebody that orders it, we've already got the riser built and we just have to do limbs. They're looking a couple of weeks turnaround probably. Uh, just depends how many bows are ahead of yeah. them. You know, if they're if they're ordering something that's higher end and we've got to order a piece of, you know, mango or something then you know that that can take longer but on the hunter lines you're probably looking a couple of weeks 
the longest we've had, you usually tell people six to eight weeks, yeah. uh, you know, on the bow turnaround, which is really oh, fast in traditional archery. And then, and then as far as after the purchase, it's like, you know, most of our customers are turn into, you know, kind of acquaintances and friends. Yeah. And I have guys text me all the time and asking questions, asking questions about knock height, brace height, arrow tuning, you know, go for it. I don't, that's what we're here for, right? It's fun for us. And we want to help you um, on your journey in traditional archery. So um, we don't, we don't shut the door once somebody has made a purchase. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I can say personally too, is like, after I shot the bow, the, the first question was, what's your brace height? You know, how'd it shoot? It, and it was really nice. I mean, I somewhat expected it because we've talked a lot prior to the, to the bow coming. Yeah. But I've also expected it from other companies on other products and pretty much given the cold shoulder. Like once they get the money and get them check clears, you know, you're, you're just one in the books. You're not, you're not really that friend or that family. Um, so affordable bow down payment plan, um, two to three week turnaround, hopefully at most six to eight weeks, uh, tons mm -hmm. of follow-up help. If guys have questions, if they have concerns, what kind of warranty program do you guys have? If anybody's interested in that. So we, right now we do a full, a one year full warranty, right? So if you have an, uh, a problem in a year, send it back to us and we're going to fix it for you. Right. Um, we don't have very many of them that come back with problems. We've had a couple, you know, we've had a couple guys leave a bow in a hot car mm -hmm. and, you know, that causes some issues. And, you know, there's been some, some minor issues, which, which we just fix for guys. Um, and we're really open about it. Like, Hey, we're working with natural materials and they're handmade, yeah. right? Sometimes things don't go to plan. And when they do, we, we fix them, right? We stand behind all of them. Sweet. Well, the last question I wanted to ask you is I've, I've been wanting to get Ross on a pig hunt. Uh, and I hunt pigs in Oklahoma. So are you coming to Oklahoma or are we coming to California? <laughs> oh, no, I love that. Um, I think you guys should come to California for the reason um, we've got a, a high number of hogs out here. And um, one of my buddies who's an outfitter, um, and I'll throw a plug out there from Casey over at Lost Valley Outfitters has probably one of the most picturesque properties to hunt in. Right? You it's like those, you're not uh, Jerome, the kind of the canyons and the valleys. Yeah. yeah, you know. So you've got just you know the areas that you're hunting are amazing, you know. And then you know you can go California wine tasting afterwards, which is always a good time. Yeah, not, but um, that's amazing. Yeah. Hunting pigs in California is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a, it's so I vote Cali. It's a good thing for us. You know, Ross is hunting Idaho. Um, I'm trying to hunt any and everywhere that I can. Um, so I, I just think it's like, it's a new challenge. You know, if you guys want to come to Oklahoma, we'll go to Oklahoma. But I think, I mean, if I'm going to push you a little bit, I want to go to California first because I've already hunted Oklahoma. But um, it's a lot prettier in California, too. But it's California. But it's California. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll make sure that I'm properly dressed so that everyone knows that I'm not from California. Yeah. Let everyone know my, polit my political stance by my attire. <laughs>
<laughs> there you go. Which, which the funny thing is, is most of California is just oh, like sure. us. Yeah. Right. There's pocket, right. you know, it's the pockets everybody knows aren't. Right. <laughs> well, that's too funny. Well, cool I'll guys. Let's wrap this up, man. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for making the time, man. We had a blast talking. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of plugs and stuff, but just like the actual links and and places where people can follow you, can you uh, give those out so people can can go to the website and and follow on Instagram or whatever? Um, So website is uh, www.buanabows.com. You can find us on Instagram. Um, it's Buana Bows on Instagram. You'll find Jerome runs that. And that's going to be pretty much just photos of bows that we're building. And then um, my Instagram is California Trad Bow Hunter, which is more of the lifestyle part of the business. It's mm-hmm. hunting, shooting, 3D stuff, uh, posting pictures of customers that have done things, friends. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, a little bit more of the lifestyle. The Buana Bow side is more of the product. Um, but they can find us in any of those places. Um, you can email questions to buanabows at gmail.com. Um, if you're on Instagram, my cell phone number is right on there. You can shoot me a text anytime and I will answer it. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks for making the time for us, man. Appreciate it. Oh, you guys are welcome. Thank you for having me.